it's not only attainable, but, but it's also very reasonable. It's a reasonable thing for him to ask us. In fact, Second Peter 1.3, the New Living Translation tells us, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. But like it says in Romans, how can they hear without a preacher? And that's really what the, the Proverbs were, were all about. That's what the Proverbs do. They preach, they teach, they reach. They impart wisdom and knowledge to those that read them, those that study them. I mean, if you read the Proverbs, how many of you guys read the Proverbs? Just, just by a show of hands, okay? There's, there's some of you. If you read the Proverbs and if you read them through, we've been going through the Proverbs now for over five years on Saturday mornings. You'll find that you'll, you'll find every instruction, every instruction possible that we would need for, for life. I was going to do a, a, a slide that, that gave every single thing, and I don't think I would have been able to fit, fit it in the slide. There's so many different topics that the Proverbs cover. So if you're in the Proverbs, I want to encourage you to continue. Again, we've been Proverbs on Saturdays now for five years, and, and it never gets old. But if you don't, I want to strongly encourage you to do so. The, the Proverbs are, are, are simple and yet profound. You can start reading a proverb and quickly understand what they're saying and yet read them, study them, and meditate on them without ever reaching their limits. That's how awesome a proverb is. And so my hope today in, in sharing this proverb with you is hopefully encourage you, if you're already reading it, to continue. If you're not, perhaps maybe whet your appetite for the proverbs. We pick it up, we read it, and you see how simple it is, how straightforward it is, how you don't need a, a theology degree to be able to understand it. Um, I figured we would look at Proverbs 1. It's been said that God gave us 31 Proverbs, right, so that we can read one every single day. And another saying is that a proverb a day keeps the, the devil at bay. All right? So if you have your Bible, if, if you have it already open, let's, let's open up to Proverbs chapter 1, the beginning of knowledge. It starts off in verse 1 where it says, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. The title, the Proverbs of Solomon, kind of puts a blanket, a blanket over all the Proverbs, right? And, and associates them with Solomon, even though probably Proverbs 30 and 31 were written by him. But there's no doubt that he influenced. He stirred the hearts of the writers of these, these two Proverbs to write those two Proverbs. Who is Solomon? Well, a lot of us know that Solomon was the third king of Israel. And as we're told here, he's the son of King David through his marriage to Bathsheba. Solomon is known as the patron of wisdom. If you recall in Second Chronicles and also in First Kings 3, we're told that Solomon was asked by God, ask what I shall give you. How many of us have ever imagined being in that position? I know that as a kid, I always thought about being in the position where we we, we rub the, the bottle, right? And this genie comes out and he gives us three wishes. And, and, and we spend time kind of contemplating what would we do with those three wishes. God, uh, Solomon, ask and I will give you. Solomon's reply is found in Second Chronicles 3, verses 8 to 10. You have shown great mercy to David, my father, he said, and have made me king in his place. Humility. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David, my father, be established. For you have made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitudes. Solomon says, now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this great people of yours? 
Now here we're told that because Solomon asked for wisdom and knowledge to do God's will, God not only gave him wisdom, but also riches, and he gave him wealth, and he gave him honor, unlike any king before Solomon or any king after Solomon. So it's safe to say that if, if we're, we're looking for a counselor, if we're looking for some kind of advice, our best choice would be who? Solomon, uh, the wisest man in all the world. It's been said that taking care to understand the Bible is as important as trusting in its power and its authority. The two go hand in hand, right? With that said, when we read a proverb, we should know how to read it. Proverbs are are general truths stated in general terms. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is a proverb is not a precept. A precept is a truth stated in absolute terms when we need to remember that a proverb is just a practical truth in godly living. Right. Solomon's told us right off the bat that we're reading the Proverbs of Solomon. So let's, let's continue reading verses 2 and 6. It says, to know wisdom. This is the purpose and instruction. To, to perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instructions of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. Verse 4, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. Verse 5, a, a wise man will hear and increase learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and the riddles. So the verses 2 and 3, or 2 to 6, is really the purpose of a proverb. To know and perceive wisdom and instruction. The teacher here wants the pupil to spot wisdom. It wants the the, the the student to recognize, to be familiar with what wisdom is. Notice the words to know and perceive. Why? Because in order to be able to receive it when someone imparts it, you need to first need to know it. Right? It's like when we're learning how to, how to read. You have to know the concepts of letters, the phonics. You have to know your ABCs. That's what the teacher here is instructing to the student. You need to know. You need to be familiar with what a proverb is. What wisdom is. The Proverbs are all about wisdom. Together with the Psalms, the Songs of Solomon, Ecclesiastics, and some other books, believe it or not, even the book of Job, they're known as the wisdom literature. Proverbs 4.7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. It's all about wisdom. It's all about us knowing what to do in every situation. Notice the words that flow out of wisdom here in verses 2 to 6. Instruction. What does that mean? It, it means correction. It means discipline. Sometimes in order to know wisdom, you got to suffer. It's got to hurt. I love how I heard a brother pray uh, one time. He was praying, Lord, touch their hearts or touch their butts. What was he saying? Touch, touch their hearts. You know who you are because you're here. Touch their hearts or touch their butts. What is he saying? Touch their hearts. Soften their hearts. But if, if you need to, Touch their butts, Lord. And it was for someone that he truly loved. That's kind of what understanding is. That's, that's what it means. It, sometimes it, it hurts. Instruction sometimes hurts, but God gives us that as a gift. I asked my son today if he liked the Proverbs. My son Max, and he said he did. And man, out of the blue, he quoted Proverbs 3.12, which says, For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Jesus, a father, the son, in whom he delights. And my eyes just lit up. Because there was a teaching moment right there and then, huh? Oh, do you know what that means, son? You know, 
when your mom and I, we tell you things, that's exactly, he's like, oh man, I shouldn't have quoted that, that verse. <laughs> Turn into a teaching moment. The next word that we see is understanding. You find that in verse 2, 5, and 6. And that word has been defined as the ability to look at the heart of the matter and to be able to properly discern the difference at stake in the choices being weighed. It's almost like you know someone that has wisdom because they're very slow to speak. They're thinking, and they're not only thinking about this outcome, but they're thinking about this and this and this. What if I say this? What if I do this? This might happen. That might happen. That's what understanding is. Prudence is found in verse 4. That means it conveys the idea of shrewdness, of cunning, of cleverness. It mostly is for bad, but it can be used for good. Knowledge found in verse 4 is the wisdom it's the application of knowledge. That's what knowledge is. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. We get knowledge not just to get, but to use it. What, what good would it be just to store it up, store up all kinds of knowledge? You see that in a lot of people that are smart. They have a lot of book smart, but they never use it. They don't apply it to their lives. That's what knowledge is. Discretion, in its simplest terms, means to, to, to plan, to be a good planner. And then learning is to take grasp of something the comprehension of truth. And then lastly, in verse 5, it talks about wise counsel. Accurate guidance, literally it means sound steering. There's a, a, a company that, it's a Christian company, by the way. I don't know if you've seen them in this section, in this plaza, and it's a, it's a driving company. They teach you how to drive, driving school, right? And so you see them sometimes driving in the driveway, and, and you see them stop and stop or turn the wrong way, but the instructor has a wheel, and he's able to kind of correct it. Well, that's what it's talking about here, having wise counsel. All these things are important because of, of who the students are. Notice with me that the teacher here is teaching both to the simple, the young, and to the wise. Look what it says in verse 4, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. The teacher is teaching the Proverbs to the simple and to the young man. The, the simple speaks of someone that's foolish in the sense of not being able or not being experienced, not having experience. They're, they're naive. They're easily influenced, easily and often seduced. They're tempted. The green is one word that we would use it. And then the young man speaks of those who are tender feet, the apprentice, those that are still learning. But then look what it says in verse 5. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. So he's not only teaching to the simple and to the young, he's also teaching to those that have been around wisdom for a while, those that have been around the block. One thing that we need to remember, no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord or how much wisdom you've amounted is, we could never stop what? Learning, huh? If you get to the point where you say, I'm done, I'm done learning. Oh, man, you're in trouble. And I've actually heard people say that, that they're, that they're done. They, we should never be done with learning. We could always learn more. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been skiing or snowboarding. How many of you guys have ever been skiing or snowboarding? A lot of, a lot of snow up in the mountains, so I want to encourage you to, to do so. But they have different trails uh, according to a person's skill when you go skiing. Huh? They have the easy run called the green circles. That's where I camp at. And then they have the Dumble Diamond Black Trails where the real experienced people camp at. And if you ask me a little crazy, because those are some some crazy courses. But that's kind of what the Proverbs is like. It, it teaches the simple, and then it teaches those that have wisdom already. The Bible, I don't know if you've ever heard it, has been described as shallow enough for a child not to drown in, yet deep enough for an elephant to swim in. 
Again, that's the Proverbs. There are two audiences that the teacher is teaching to. Teaching to. He says, to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and the riddles. The purpose of a proverb, again, is to understand and to apply these, these truths that we read throughout the Proverbs. The word enigma speaks of uh, an interpretation of what is it that it's trying to tell me. When we look at a proverb, we should ask ourselves, what is the truth that it's trying to tell me? That's what it is, enigma there. And the word riddle speaks of a, of a cryptic way that sometimes the Proverbs are written. One commentator put it like this, riddles are teasing questions that are clear enough to give clues to their solutions, but hidden enough to throw the careless off track. If you really want to know, God is going to teach you. God will give you this. The Proverbs will give you the riddles that you need to know of what he, the author, God is trying to say. And so that leads us to the main theme of the Proverbs. And for that matter, I think the whole Bible, as Christians, our, our life, and that's verse 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is a, a call to attention, huh, guys? This is the main purpose of this proverb. This is the main topic, the theme, the fear of the Lord. I was talking to my son earlier today, and he was saying, what does that mean to fear the Lord? And I was explaining to him that fear has two different ways. It's, it's almost has like two sides. There's, there's one side where we fear the Lord in reverence. You love someone. You have a father. You have someone that you admire. You do not want to disappoint them. You want to please them. You want to make them happy. You want to make them proud of you. Reverence. That's one sense of fearing the Lord. The other sense is the word that I like, our pastor likes to use a lot, the trancaso, right? Where, where God has the ability to chasten, chasten those he loves. And how many of us in this room have been chastened by God? Because he loves us, right? I always think of that verse in Luke and in Matthew where it says, don't, don't fear the one that can send your body to hell. Or like I like to call it, or I'm saying that send your body to the grave or, or Rose Hills, like, like I like to say. Fear the one that can send your body to Rose Hills and to hell. And that is God. We're to, we're to have reverence for God, both on the love side and also on the fear side where we realize that he is sovereign, he is holy, he is just, he is not someone that we play with. It's the main theme of, of, of all the Proverbs, of the Bible, of our walk. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's a pre- repeated again in Proverbs 9.10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We're going through Job on Thursdays, Job 28.28 said that God declared wisdom to be the fear of the Lord. That God declared wisdom to be the fear of the Lord. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, a good understanding. Have all those who do his commandments, his praise endures forever. Now, right there where it says it's the beginning, what that means is it has to start there. Whenever we meet with anyone in any type of counseling situation, the one thing that we're trying to discern as counselors, as pastors, is does this person fear the Lord? Does this person know the Lord? Is there fear of the Lord? Do they revere the Lord? Are they Christians? Because that's the only way that we can counsel them. If they they have no reverence for the Lord, if they don't know the Lord, how can we properly, biblically counsel them? We'll do our best, right? But, but, But there's no power there. And so that's what we're looking for is the fear of the Lord. But when it says that it's the beginning, it doesn't mean that it starts at the fear of the Lord and then goes up from there, you know, by doing something else. 
Because Galatians 3.3 asks the question, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect in the flesh? No, the, the fear of the Lord has to be the beginning and the end. It, it, it's the start and the culmination for us as Christians. It has to be there. That has to be our foundation. It has to be the ceiling. Everything has to be about the fear of the Lord. Remember, there's two sides of fear. And so what is the contrast? What is the other side of not fearing the Lord? That wisdom and destruction or instruction, excuse me, which are gifts from God, are hated and loaded. That's what that word says, despise. That's what it means to hate, to loathe. Think about that. God wants to give us something. He wants to give wisdom. And instead, we, 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 we shun it by not having any fear for him. We, we loathe it. We despise the gift that he's trying to give us. It says, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools here speaks of someone more wicked. It's not talking about the simple. It's talking about someone that is actually wicked. And so we go from the, the, the intro to the theme to now the call to action, which is in verses 8 to 9. We'll start there. It's a calling to listen. Let's read together. It says, my son, hear the instructions of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. I love that. I love that. For there will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. I don't know about you guys, but the first thing that I noticed reading that is just the, the call to attention that the student has to continue to learn and do that which he was taught at home, which is, is critical. You know, I mean, sometimes we, we have kids that are dropped off, you know, at, at, in the, in the uh, children's ministry, and they're not taught nothing at home, and then they, they, they expect that with an hour and a half that the teachers have that they're going to teach them all that there is to know about God. That it's not possible. You, we need to be teaching our kids about the Lord at home. And, and I like the fact that, that it says, keep doing that, which you were taught at home. I also like the fact that for such an ancient book and, and, and because of the fact that we know that women were almost like second-class citizens, that, that it not only says the counsel of your father, but it also talks about the counsel of, of, of the mother, huh? And, and so important, as a side note, how every home, in order for it to thrive, every child needs to have the love, the support of a father, and the love and tenderness and support of a mother. That's, that's what it speaks of here. It, it, it confirms the importance of both roles of father and mother in the home. And in verse 9, it says, For there will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Those, those who fear the Lord, those who have wisdom, the instruction and the laws given don't seem like burdensome. If, if you read the Bible and, and these things that it's telling you seem like burdens, then there's an issue. You might want to check your heart. We, we, were, we were meeting, and there's a praise report behind it, so I'm not going to – I'm going to want to let – I'm sharing this because there's a good, there's a good uh, uh, ending to this story. But we, we met with this young lady – who came up and she didn't know the Lord, you know, but she was crying. You could tell that the Lord had touched her. And she, she was saying, you know what? I'm a person of borders. I'm a person, you know, that, that I want respect for my borders and God is not respecting my borders. You know, he's, he's, he's messing with me in essence. He's, he's dealing with me. He's tugging at my heart and she's crying as she's, as she's telling us this. The good ending is that she called her, her family member that invited her here, and she said, that's it, I'm done, I want to receive the Lord. 
Um, but when you're dealing with someone that doesn't, then it's very, very difficult. It says, my son, here are the instructions for there will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Um, it's cool that, that those that know the Lord, you know, that the, the, the laws, the things that God tells us to do, not just the law of Moses, but just every practical thing that God calls us to do as Christians, as his sons, as his daughters, they're not going to be burdensome. They're going to be almost like an ornament on your hand. Think of a crown, like wearing a crown. That's what they're going to be like. Or, or, or the chain, like some bling bling on your neck, you know. It's going to be a good thing. It's not going to be a bad thing. It's going to be a good thing. Let's continue reading. Look at verses 10 through 14. Next comes the, the direction that the proverb here gives us. It says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like show and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. How many parents here? None? Okay, a couple. As parents, one of the questions that we ask our kids as they get older, right, and we start giving them freedom, and they ask us that they want to go somewhere, we ask them three key questions, huh? Where are you going? Who are you going with? Now, how are you getting there? And who are you going with, right? And the last question is probably the most important. My grandma used to tell me, I'll say it in Spanish, dime con quien te juntas y te diré quien eres. Those of us that don't know Spanish, tell me who you hang out with, and I'll tell you who you are. It's so key that as parents, we know who our friends of our kids are. We need to know that. And, and I think even as Christians, it's so important that who we call friends, we choose them very, very carefully. We didn't just don't just, we could have a lot of associates. We could have a lot of people that we care for. But if we have this vast array of friends, remember, be careful. They can lure us away from the truth of God. One person said, what we become is determined in some significant measure by the company that we keep. Ain't that the truth? The teacher here knew that his students were at risk. They were at risk of going bad or going sideways when they were pressured and seduced by those that they hung out with. That's what he's trying to teach them. Be careful. Don't listen to those voices. We have to know how big the influence is that, that our friends carry. We have to know that. One commentator wrote, we are bound to be influenced by society at large, parents, family, coworkers, teachers, bosses, but who a person's peers are might determine if they dabble with drugs, if they experiment with sex, or if they do crime. I just want to share a little bit about my upbringing. I grew up in a dysfunctional home like many of you. I grew up with a single mother, in a drinking environment with others that I hung out with who grew up in the same or even worse type of environments. What do you think was, was going to happen when we got together? Chaos. Like, like many of us have experienced, if we're honest, right? In our BC days, who we hung out with, our friends. You know, it's like, man, evil, evil minds get together and it just, man, we start inventing ways to do evil. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. 
evil company corrupts good habits. And Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. This teacher was trying to teach with all his heart to his student, be careful who you hang out with. Son, daughter, be very, very careful who you call a friend. Oh, I wish I had the Proverbs when I was young. I wish that I had the wisdom to, to apply it. I wish that I had the Lord in my heart in order to be able to make the right decisions. How many hurts could I have avoided if I only did? And, and if you're young in this room, I would encourage you to learn, grasp, seek out wisdom with all your heart because it will save you so many, so many pain, so much pain, so many wounds. That's what the teacher is trying to do here, to teach, to warn, to guide. Don't be enticed. That's interesting when I read that. Why would the student, why would, be, why would we be enticed? Why would we be enticed by, 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 by evil, by sin? Because we live in the flesh, huh? The flesh is it's covetous. It, it, it looks after covet. It covets what other people have. We're programmed deep, I think, in our psyche to make heroes, even of bad guys sometimes. And if you're honest, you know you've watched the movie you know, of cops and robbers, and there's secretly you wanted the robbers to win. Uh, there's just something inside of us that we have. I don't know what it is. It's the flesh. I think that if we learn to spot the words of the flesh, of the sinner, of those that are evil, of the devil, we're going to be better at knowing if they're good or bad. Notice with me some of the words that the sinners use. He uses the word entice. Entice. He uses the word lie in wait or the word lie in wait. Two words, lurk secretly. Let us swallow, he says. Let us go get possessions and spoils. Join us all for one, all for one, or all for all. Their, their speech, their words should tell us something, huh? And then in, in verses 15 through 19, it's a call to, to turn 180 degrees from that type of speech. Look what it says. Do the opposite. Do a U-turn if you see, see or hear them. It says, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path, from their feet, for their feet run to do evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain a net is spread in the sight of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Verses 13, 14 gives the the false claim of these sinners, of the wicked, uh, that there's something good out there, man. That there's some precious goods, that the spoils are going to be in abundance, that that there's purses to be had. But that's not really reality, is it? It's not reality. They might sell you an alluring and they might pose it as being fun and cool. The devil always does. But in reality, their feet, it says, are running to evil. For their feet run to do evil and they make haste to shed blood. One might think that they're getting over on the innocent. But really, whom are they getting over on? They're getting over on themselves. It says in verse 19, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. I was just thinking, how many of those in jail, how many of those in prison doing hard time would jump at the opportunity to tell somebody young that that life isn't all that it's cracked up to be? That there's pain, that there's suffering, that it's a lie, 
that it's a sham from the devil? How many of those that are dead and are in hell would love the opportunity to be able to tell the same thing to those that are alive now? One thing that always stuck to me is that saying the devil will always show you the bait, but he'll never show you the hook. And that's what these people are trying to do. They're trying to sell them. And the, 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 the teacher is saying, don't listen to that. Don't be enticed by that. Don't covet that. We must remember that Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And for me as a Christian, for, for us as a Christian, the, the, the verse in Second Peter 2, 18 through 20 comes to mind when I read this. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from, from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Don't be this person that is, that is taken away. By, by that type of speech. Don't be deceived. If you got kids, teach your kids this with your mouth and, and with your life. Tell them. I, I've talked to some brothers who, who hesitate to tell their kids about their past life. I think you should use wisdom and you should pray and ask God to show you what you need to share. But I definitely think we need to be able to share. We need to be able to give a testimony to our kids because it shows us what, what God did. It shows them what God did. And, and it warns them not to go down that path. I love uh, Psalm 1, and I believe that's why the psalmist wrote this. In, in Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, Blessed are the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also should not wither, and whatever he does, he shall prosper. So the, the teacher here, he, he closes this proverb from the call to shun evil. And now in this next section that we're going to read, to shun evil, but now to hear the call of wisdom. Look what it says in verse 20 to 23. Listen, it says, Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the opening of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. And then verse 23 says, Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you, and I will make my words known to you. What a difference in language, huh? From, from, from those that are evil, the, the, the sinner, again, here is represented with words like entice, lie in wait, lurk in secret, let us go swallow, let us go possess, let us go take the spoils, join us, let it be all one purse. But here wisdom is depicted loud and clear, and I pray louder and clearer than those words. There's no hiding. There's no hiding with wisdom. She cries in the chief concourses at the opening of the gates of the city, which is where business was done. Wisdom wants to do business with us. The teacher is trying to tell his pupil, wisdom is screaming at you. 
Wisdom wants to get your attention. There's no plotting. Notice how long will you simple ones, will you love simplicity? There's no call to hurt anyone, to steal, to take that which is not yours. It's pure. It's good. What a, what a difference, huh? She raises her voice in the open squares as if wisdom is saying, is anyone out there? Can anyone hear me? The contrast between good and evil, foolishness and wisdom is, is loud and clear, guys. It's, it's as wisdom is saying, how long are you going to let the phone ring? Is it just going to keep ringing and ringing and ringing or are you going to answer it one day? The simple here again is the naive. The, the one that's still on the fence, that has, hasn't truly given their heart over to wisdom, to God, but really hasn't truly given their heart over to the wicked, to the devil, to foolishness. The Proverbs, guys, if you study them, teach us that both evil and good are vying for the attention of those that are simple. Do you know that? Do you know that the devil is, is out there just trying to entice you? It's like those cartoons we used to watch, right? An angel and, and a demon, right? It's the same thing. It's true. And they're trying to, to get the attention of our kids. They're trying to steal them away from us. The enemy's MO is to kill, steal, and destroy. John 10.10, 10, that's what he's trying to do. Look at verse 23. I love the word turn. Life is made up of choices, guys. It really, it's as simple as that. We can choose God. We can deny him. We can choose good. We can turn away from it. I couldn't choose good without God. I don't know about you guys. Maybe there are some out there that, that are, are moral or, or more moral than most, and, and they can do pretty good. But just as a side note, even if, if they can have some sense of morality, without God, they ain't making it to heaven. That's almost more dangerous to be moral or somewhat moral, even though the Bible says that we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. I believe that it's, it's God through his spirit that allows us to know and to choose and to want wisdom. Notice what it says in verse 23. I will make my words known to you. I will pour out my spirit to you. And I will make my words known to you. Prior to me knowing the Lord, I, I didn't understand. I, I couldn't understand the words in this book, the words on these pages. The, the Bible talks about that in Corinthians, that the natural man cannot understand the things of the spirit. It's over their head. But when I became a son of God, these things started making sense to me. And that's what it says there. So what happens? What happens if we don't choose the call of wisdom? Well, I mean, according to this next section here, it tells us that wisdom in the end will always have the last laugh. Watch, read verse 24 and 30 through 33 with me. It says, because I have called you and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock you when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me but I will not answer. Then they will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full 
with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and be secure without fear of evil. Strong, strong words and an amazing, amazing promise, huh? The teacher, he's now teaching not the simple that are on the fence. He's teaching those that have joined the camp of the evil one. That's why the words are so strong. God is a gentleman, ladies and gentlemen, but he will, he will call us. He's faithful to do that, but, but he's not going to make us. He's not going to make us come to him. He's not going to make us seek wisdom. He's not going to make us do his will. We would be robots if that was the case. He is going to put his spirit in us. He is going to knock on the door of our hearts relentlessly. But if we choose not to, he's going to let go. And that's a scary thing. If there's anyone here that is on the fence, be careful. Because I believe that Romans talks about the fact that he showed himself to creation. Through creation, he showed just who God was. But there was a point that he gave them over to their debased mind. There was a point where God just let go. Isn't that a scary proposition? To think that God can just say, that's it. I'm done. I'm done with you, Henry. That's enough. I I don't look at, at God that way. I think God is a God of mercies. I think what this is talking about is that because of our own decisions, because of the calamity, because of the things that we did, our own wickedness, that when we're, we're, we're suffering because of those things. We're going to call on wisdom, and wisdom's going to say, it's too late. It's too late. You made your bed, now you've got to lie on it. One commentator that I was studying said, the, the ask, receive, seek, find pattern has time limits built into it. In fact, it, it, it shows that in both the testaments of the Bible. In Isaiah 55, 6, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be Call upon him while he is near. It says there's a time limit according to that verse. In Matthew 7, 7, Jesus encourages, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks and receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. It's telling you to keep doing that. It gives us a picture that we are to knock, that we're to seek God. If we choose God, he will accept us. He will embrace us. He will give us wisdom. But if we don't, then verses 29 through 30, man, that's going to be God's answer. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancy. The Bible talks about in the New Testament that there's going to be a time where God, he almost makes it possible for those that don't know him to not know him. That's a scary proposition. Like he's just going to do something to them. And I don't know exactly what that's saying, but it's like he's going to give them over. And here the, the teacher is trying to teach his pupils, don't do that. Listen to, to, to wisdom while it's crying out to you. That's what the Proverbs are all about. The first, I think, eight or nine uh, of Proverbs are all about getting wisdom. And then the rest of the Proverbs is, what do you do with the wisdom you've been given? Much of the, the Bible is like that, or a lot of the epistles are like that. What God has given you, and then the other part is, what is our part? What do we do? How do we use what God has given us? And that's what the Proverbs 
are all about. And so I want to encourage you. I don't know if you guys are proverb-reading people. If you're not, read the Proverbs. I, I guarantee you, you will be blessed. If you're a guy, come on Saturdays, man. Get into it. We, we, we not only read it, but we talk about it, you know, and, and we study it. We look at it. Get up early, you know. Spend some time in prayer with us. Read a proverb. If, if you can't, I would, I would encourage you, make a practice of reading a proverb every single day. You saw that you don't have to be a, a theologian, look at me, to in, order, in order to be able to understand and God has given us the Proverbs just as a simple way to gain wisdom, to be able to make decisions. You know, one of the things that, 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 that Spurgeon once said that stuck to my, to my mind is that the doorstep to the temple of wisdom is a knowledge of our own ignorance. I, I repeat, the doorstep to the temple of wisdom is a knowledge of our own ignorance. One of the things that, that we need to do as Christians, again, is, is, is never think that we're wise. Always be chasing after wisdom. And always remember that, that we're ignorant people. That we're ignorant, that we need to learn, that, that we need a teacher. We, we, those of us that maybe have been walking with the Lord for a while, we, we should never stop learning. We should know that we have a father, we have a teacher that wants to continually teach us. And while we're on this side of time, we need to continue to learn because we're in the flesh. There's a saying that we should all be like Paul the Apostle. We should all have a Paul in our life, someone more mature in the faith, someone uh, uh, more advanced, maybe advanced in age that can pour down their wisdom into us. And then we should also have a Timothy in our life, someone younger that we then can pour the wisdom that we've been given by God and by those God has put in our lives to them. That's what the Proverbs are all about. It's about teaching it's about teaching wisdom. And so I pray that today through this, if you're not reading the Proverbs, maybe it whets your appetite to, to take up a proverb every day and to be blessed by them. Amen.